The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Hello everyone and welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor of The Homes Report and I'm here in London today with Mary Pollard, a partner at Portland, which is one of the UK's leading public affairs and corporate communications consultancies. Hi Mary, welcome to the Echo Chamber. Thank you for having me. Um, now you joined Portland at the start of this year to lead on purpose, the big word in comms everywhere at the moment. Um, you previously worked at Diageo where you were head of alcohol in society communications, which we should probably chat about as well. And has uh, you've also spent time at uh, Brands to Life and Bell Pottinger, among others. So That's lovely to right. have you here. Now, can you tell me a bit about your current role? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, I joined uh, the lovely Portland at the start of the year to lead on purpose. It is clearly a big trend in our industry, and I'm sure we'll we'll talk a great deal about what it is and what it is not. Mm. Um, but I took the unusual move of going from client to agency rather than agency to yeah, client. Yeah, that is pretty unusual it's these odd days. odd to go that way over the fence. But um, at Diageo, I was looking after sort of responsibility and in agency life before then, so Bell Pottinger in particular, um, the sort of golden thread had been, I think when I started it was called CSR. Yes. And then it was sustainability. Then we started talking about responsibility. More recently we're talking about purpose. But yeah. this idea of sort of responsible business and how business can be a sort of force for good and mm. what, what role it plays in society has kind of been the golden thread of my career. So how do, I mean, just to like backtrack slightly to Diageo, your previous role, how do how does a a company in the business that Diageo is in kind of square the circle about with that sort of role where you're talking about responsible consumption of alcohol in society. It's a tricky it's a tricky balance to get, isn't it? Because that's the purpose of their, you know, how they make money is selling a certain thing that also requires some responsible advice from them as well. Yeah, well, I think um, at Diageo, we were sort of very comfortable with the fact that actually the success of the business came from people enjoying the product, mm. but enjoying it responsibly. Um, and it was a really clear focus for the chief executive who I was working for at the time, who's still there now, of course, to really make clear that the growth of the business came from yeah. uh, growing really in the premium segments. It's not about drinking more. It was very much about drinking better, not more. Yeah. So we want more consumers of uh, Johnny Walker Gold who have worked their way up from red and become um, a consumer of the sort of higher-end products. Mm. And that's where the growth of the business is going to come from. So a really clear focus that actually responsible drinking could be a driver of business yeah. growth as well. Well, I, uh, this is the whole thing with purpose, isn't it? Getting the balance between profit and being a, being a good corporate citizen in the exactly. world and doing good. Because yeah, the, the, a, a company's purpose can be just what it does, but does really well. It doesn't have to be a kind of a do-gooding, we're putting the world to rights scenario, does it? So that it's interesting how companies kind of wrap that purpose around something that is really in their DNA rather than just bolting it on. Exactly. And I think the way that we sort of frame it at Portland and what I've been working on since I joined is what we're calling total value. Mm. So I think in the past, we have a sort of an equation, not particularly complicated, but an equation of sorts of uh, profits 
plus purpose equals total value. So uh, I think in the past there have been organisations that felt that generating profit, generating revenue was sufficient. That's no longer the case. That's no longer where the expectations are. Uh, But also organisations that had purpose or CSR, which was really tangential to what they do. And again, that's, that's no longer sort of cutting through with stakeholders. I think we believe that the profit side of the equation is still really important. Uh, businesses can be a force for good by generating value and sharing wealth and creating jobs and investing in R&D Absolutely. and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you now need to be just as fluent in talking about what sort of an employer you are, what sort of corporate citizen you are, what's your impact on society, on the environment, how are you responding to the SDGs. And there's a huge amount happening in this space. But I think quite often uh, organisations or agencies are taking quite a disjointed approach. We think we're best placed, given we work with some of the world's leading corporates, but also some of the world's leading philanthropists, to bring those two sides together and help organisations respond to these expectations, which I think a lot of people sort of focus on millennial consumers. Yeah. But actually, in my view, it's much broader than that. We're seeing investors and the ESG agenda putting a huge amount of pressure on businesses. Um, we're also seeing interventionist policymakers and, yeah. you know, arguably the Tories aren't behaving like Tories anymore. There's a real appetite for the state getting involved. Media are putting pressure on with the Amazon example of their climate change announcements. We all know a big part of that was their employees putting pressure on them. And then you do also have millennial consumers. So there's there's a huge range of sort of pressures on the kind of organisations that we advise. But there's also really big opportunity if you do grasp this mantle to kind of stand out, bolster your reputation and deliver business value. So tell me about the uh, total value index. Where did this come from? What was the thinking behind it? And what, what are you actually measuring? Yeah, absolutely. So total value is the way we sort of see what organisations need to be able to define and communicate now. The total value index was a framework that we created to help businesses, in a way, put all of those things in one place. I remember being in-house and, uh, you know, you've just got through gender pay gap and then someone asks you about ethnic pay gap. And it's it can feel like there's a yeah. <laughs> an assault of things that you need to understand. So we've put in one place a framework of what we see as the major expectations of organisations in terms of profit and purpose. So that's everything from your share price to your gender pay gap data, from employee satisfaction to how much you spend on R&D, uh, all the way through to things like contribution to SDGs, et cetera, et cetera. And what we've done is sort of build a framework that looks at all of that, first of all. And then what we've measured is two things. One, we've looked at how well companies are doing. What are they actually doing for society against all of these measures? Okay. We've evaluated them on that. But then secondly, we've looked at how well they're perceived, because I think it's really important that if you are, as a business, trying to decide what's the right thing to do, to also understand what matters to your stakeholders. And obviously, we're in the business of reputation. So if we can't tell you what's going to help your reputation, that's that's not sufficient. Uh, So it's a framework that looks at that. Uh, It's ultimately designed to see where there are risks and opportunities for different organisations. So we've looked at nine sectors. Seven of those have got what we would call an opportunity gap. So that's where the perception of the sector lags behind reality. 
So, for example, in pharma, they're creating quite a lot of value for society, but the perception gap is really, really significant. So whilst they've got a good story to tell in terms of, obviously, ultimately saving lives, Mm -hmm. which is very important, but also things like R&D, things like parity of uh, on the board in gender and so on and so on. All of this really good stuff is being really held back by issues like pricing, which are really damaging their perceptions. And we can get quite granular in terms of what are the good things that you are doing mm. and what are the sort of big reputational drivers for you. And where does that mean there are opportunities to better tell your story? Right. Okay. So where there's where there is an opportunity gap, I mean, this is you know this is this is kind of black and white data. It, is it um, is it possible to say that they're uh, they're articulating authentically if you're having to spot those gaps in the in their perceptions and reputation for them? And then they're trying to fill them in in a, in a comms terms, if, they, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think, I think... I mean, are they being opportunistic? I mean, is, is there a... Does opportunity mean they have to be opportunistic in terms of managing the reputation? Or is it is it truly like they're doing it anyway, they're just not making the most of it? Yeah, I think what we're finding generally more often is that there are just untold stories. Right, OK. So we've got um, a very impressive in-house research team who've done this for me and so they've actually been able to do things like machine read all of the annual reports of the FTSE 250 and gather from that different points of data which are being sort of almost mentioned in passing or we can see a little initiative on a website or there's there's one tweet about something but it's actually being missed as an opportunity Mm -hmm. to sort of tell a bigger story so there are some organizations um Actually, two-thirds of the sectors we felt needed to do more. Fundamentally, their actual value for society is not significant enough given some of the pressures that we're facing. Uh, And in the the case of the sort of the worst performing sectors, so, for example, water and oil and gas, that failure to deliver for society fundamentally we think is part of the reason that they're experiencing so much regulatory risk. They need to do more. Uh, So some of the advice that we're giving is potentially quite tough. But also, I do think there is a huge communications opportunity in what Mm. we're seeing. So we can find nuggets and we can see that there are these untold stories. But how you sort of find the confidence or often the bandwidth to tell those stories in the right way Mm. to improve your reputation that's something really exciting that we're starting to unearth. And it's exciting that you've got a, a piece of uh, data, a, a piece of research and thought leadership where it's not just about communications advice, it's not just about perception, it's, it's about doing your business in a different way, right? And and that's that's adv- how does that advice go down if you're giving that whole picture, not just the comms piece? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's definitely a fine balance. You know, we are not management consultants. Mm. And if I can see or if we can see in the data that something like the payment terms for your suppliers is potentially an issue because that has been a hot button or indeed the amount of tax that you pay could be a reputational risk, we're not the people who are going to uh, tell the client how they should structure their tax or yeah. change their supply chain for them. But I think it, we do have a right as communicators to tell our clients where the potential risks are. Yeah. There's no point in them being surprised that 
they get called out for corporate tax, when we have spotted that that's potentially an issue, yeah. we can advise them how best to communicate around it or if they address it, how best to communicate that progress. Yeah. But I think we we do have a right to a seat at the table, in my view. It's really important that we're, we give the advice that we know we have. Uh, we can see what the trends are. We're increasingly looking and seeing what are the drivers of the conversation, what are the drivers of perception. Mm. I think we have to be willing to step into the room and say, from what we can see... Mm this is a potential reputational issue for you. It's going to require business change for you to address. But if we don't put that in the room and we just talk about all of the positives, yeah. we're going to look silly when that becomes an issue. Yeah, you're waving the flags when they need to be waved, right? Exactly. Um, the, you talked about the opportunity gap. There's another phrase you use in the report, which is the halo effect, which is sort of the opposite. Is yes. that right? Yeah, exactly. So nine of the biggest sectors of the UK economy, seven have the opportunity gaps that we've talked about. Two, though, have what we call a halo effect. Uh, so that's the food producers and the retail sector, right. where actually the perception of the sector as a whole and what it's doing for society is slightly ahead of where the sector is. Okay. Which so is interesting. Give me an example of how that would work, like in the food sector. So I think basically what we see with those, those two sectors uh, equally is that there's a lot of favourability towards the product, so you get a quite a big reputational bump for mm. the fact that people love your brands, they love your products, mm. um, they've got really positive associations with them. Food food producers, for example, are one of the UK's biggest manufacturing sectors. So probably someone knows someone who works in food mm. or has worked in food. They get quite a lot of halo effect from that. But I think the other big thing is that there's also a halo effect from both of those sectors have had a couple of pioneers. Yeah. So in the food sector, it is arguably a little bit of a Unilever effect. Right. So when you ask informed and influential stakeholders, so this wasn't general public, this is business leaders, this is policy makers, this is NGOs, this is media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there is a bit of a halo around that sector that comes from a couple of pioneers who are very high profile, whether it's John Lewis and M&S and Retail or Unilever, who are a former client of mine, in food. And that does create, I think, an opportunity for the whole sector. So mm -hmm. there's quite a lot of goodwill that you can leverage um, when you are in that sector. So, for example, at Portland, we work with Pladis, who are the maker of McVitie's. They've recently done a big partnership with Mind around mental health. And it feels appropriate and fitting mm. um, for that sector to be doing something really positive for society around having a tea break and opening up a mental health. So there's an opportunity there. But I do think also if you are lagging behind in your sector, mm. there is a bit of a risk. So if perception is running away from where you are, you don't want that contrast to be exposed. So you need to look at what you're doing and if you can do more to keep up. So yeah. it's a challenge for that sector, but also a significant opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's getting the balance between riding on the coattails of the set. You know, people have people are fans of food and drink brands, aren't they? Exactly. And they're fans of clothing and, and retail brands in a way that, I mean, they touch our lives every day. So it's kind of more tangible. So you can kind yeah. of ride on that for a bit, but sooner or later, you're going to be found out if it's not translating to what your brand is doing, I guess. And they're also the really regular purchases. Yeah. So they are the things where it's very easy for consumers to vote with their feet or vote with their wallet. Because particularly with food, but also with retail, it's quite easy to see how you can mm. uh, 
give more to a company that aligns with your values or that you feel is doing good or how easily you can avoid it. And is your advice to those companies where there's the halo effect the same as to those where there's the opportunity gap, where it's it's partly comms and partly operational? It is, yeah. I think the specifics, so what we've done with the total value index is we've got sector level data that we've made publicly available for mm-hmm. the nine sectors we looked at. But to build that picture, we've behind the scenes got much more in-depth data on 45 companies. So where you get to in a conversation with a client is normally that we actually look at their specific data because the advice will depend on whether you're leading your sector or laggard within it and it will depend on how you are performing versus peers, whether you have a halo effect Mm. for you as a company or whether you have an opportunity gap for you as a company will help decide the advice. But certainly, I think it is important that we look at the communications opportunities, because often there are quick wins, and we all love a quick win. Absolutely. But also be confident in pointing out where there are business issues that need to be addressed. And what's the, uh, were there any surprises in the findings? Now, firstly, when you have conversations with individual brands where you've got lots of data and also for, for, for you personally and, and as a, a consultancy, were there any surprises as you went through the results? I think a couple, there were a couple of sort of sector surprises. So one, one sector that was very interesting for us was when we looked at the overall performance of the sector banking has got a very small perception gap. Mm. So it looks like what they do is very well aligned to where they are. But when we dug into that a little bit more, we found that it's got actually quite a disparate reputation. So most sectors have a relatively balanced performance in terms of what kind of an employer they are and what kind of sort of producer they are. Across different brands and companies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But with banking... Since the crisis, I think there's been really heavy investment in telling the story of what sort of an employer they are and being a good corporate citizen, things like explaining the apprenticeship opportunities that they have, what they're doing on the high street, what they're doing for local mm-hmm. communities, LGBTQ plus communities that they support, et cetera, et cetera. And they've really tried to emphasize those areas, but their reputation around uh, performance and the fundamentals of their business is still being really pulled down mm. by the aftermath of the crisis, more recently LIBOR, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So they've got quite a disparate reputation, and that's not where you want to be. You want to have a sort of consistent storytelling so that you are both a good business and also a good business, mm. not having quite sort of disparate um, a disparate reputation. So I think that was quite interesting. And the other thing I was surprised at was... Um, how often when we spoke to clients, we said, this is what we can see about where you are. They said, oh, no, we're doing we're doing loads more than that. We're much better than that. Okay. You haven't noticed this. You haven't seen this. And um, and actually, it's a case of saying to them, we can only see what we can see. Yeah, if we haven't seen it, then nobody's Nobody seeing it. Nobody else yeah. is seeing it. So it, we, we made a conscious decision to look at publicly available data mm-hmm on the grounds that that's what an interested civil servant or journalist or future employee would be able to see. Um, So it's been surprising how often clients have been able to say, oh, no, there's loads more. Yeah, it's it's another gap. (laughs) It's another gap. But it's also, it's a nice one where you can say, great, that's an untold story. How do we use that? What does that look like as a 
part of the CEO's message? What does that look like as a standalone announcement? How do we manage it? So it's it's lovely turning up gems. Yeah, I bet it is. And just going back to the banking sector, is there a difference between? Did you look at f- like fintechs and you know the new banking models uh, and the traditional banks? Because I imagine there's quite. Is there any difference there? Because they operate in completely different ways and have completely different ways of approaching their customer base as well. Yes. So we didn't look at fintech. Specifically, we looked at banking and we looked at leading companies where there was significant amounts of data and enough of a track record for us to be able to really assess them. But I think you're right. When we looked at TMT as a whole, so tech, media and telco, some of the tech companies within that are in a similar space or have a sort of similar profile Mm. to the fintech players that we're seeing coming through. And actually... TMT is the top contributor of actual value as a sector that we can see. That's really interesting. Completely, completely different space from um, from banking, mm. but also quite a bit of quite a significant opportunity gap. So many more stories that they could be telling. And uh, when you talk about stories, are we talking about human stories? Are we talking about making that company and what it does uh, relate to the world at large? Um, I think it can be, and I think particularly in the sort of what kind of an employer are you, there's there's a real room and appetite for human stories. Mm. Um, talking about jobs, talking about job creation, talking about the kind of roles, the kind of people that work in an organisation, there's fundamentally a huge appetite for, of course. But also, actually, there is a real interest in what are the business moves that you're making, even things like policies, shared parental leave policies, which people like Aviva and Diageo have done really well. It's not a particularly human story. It's a policy story, which shouldn't be interesting. But if you're touching on something like uh, paternity leave, maternity leave, you're talking about gender, it's still about the kind of employer you are, but it doesn't necessarily need to have a face and a name and a hometown. So I think there's interest in both. And then also, we definitely saw, um, unsurprisingly, People love a ban. <laughs> they love a launch or they love a ban. They want a significant <laughs> move. Um, there's a lot that you can do. If you make a decision to make a, a change, there's a huge appetite for those sort of stories and yeah. that sort of leadership, which is how it's now seen. So mm. there's lots that organisations can do to put themselves forward in this space. And what, overall, what do you think the key takeaways for brands and organisations should be from your total value index this year? Tough one. Um, lots, but I think th- there are two things I, I would really uh, hope clients are picking up and hope is coming across. The first is, I think, just to know there is a way of measuring and organising all this stuff mm. that you're expected to do. Uh, you know, if you started your career as long ago as I did, um, (laughs) being 100 years old, as I am, you felt like you had enough to worry about with getting your results across and how are you doing versus your competitors and the the sheer nuts and bolts of your performance. Mm -hmm. And it can feel like there's just more and more and more being added to the corporate comms pile, to the things that a corporate affairs director needs to be on top of. And it can feel overwhelming. But what we've attempted to do with this framework is put it in one place. So okay. at a glance, you can see 
what you're expected to do as a citizen alongside what you're expected to do as a producer of goods and services, what you're meant to do as an employer as well as being a good venture. So I think that's the first big takeaway. There is a way of getting a sort of snapshot of all of this. And I think the second would be for most of the sectors, what companies are doing is not cutting through. There are things that they're doing that are not currently driving perceptions of their organisation and that's a really big comms opportunity. And what kind of, st- are there any trends in that in terms of the stuff that ju- people, you know, in-house teams think is cutting through, which just isn't? I mean, do you see the same things coming up again and again? Um, that's a good question. I think I think what we see less is people trying to cut through and failing to do so. And more, I think, lots of organisations are concerned about the cynicism that they would hit. So, right, okay. yes, we're doing this fantastic thing, but if we try and say we're doing it and we mm. pat ourselves on the back, is that going to blow up in our faces? Like, how do we yeah. how do we manage this announcement? Should you just do it quietly, just yeah. to be a good citizen? Is it enough if we mm. tell policymakers behind closed doors that we've done it and we bury it in our annual report? Yeah. So I think a big part of the, the sort of challenge and opportunity that we're working with with clients is how do we manage those announcements in such a way that yes we recognize the cynicism that's out there mm. but we're still confident and able to sort of assert ourselves mm. and put ourselves out there and because we're just saying we're great <laughs> yeah and not just using it defensively when yeah. you're you know hauled in front of a select committee or a problem has emerged and then you decide to talk about all of the great stuff that you're doing in the community yeah. at that point it is too late, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, it's a really delicate balancing act, isn't it, in terms of perception of a company as being a good corporate citizen and somebody who's just doing things for the publicity, as we yeah. used to say. Yes. Um, does it is it helping you when advising clients, having this kind of very robust framework to base your advice on? I mean, is it is it are you finding it a useful tool within the consultancy, Portland? Definitely, I think the the ability to have sort of data-led insights around mm. what's the right campaign to be uh, to be launching at this time or, you know, we're doing obviously a lot of 2020 planning at the moment. Yeah. So what have we got? What can we see we've got? How can we use it? And what do we think that will do on perception? Mm. Having those more sort of data-led conversations I think really is helpful. I think that's something clients need more and more from their advisors. So definitely that's been useful. But I think also... We still fundamentally just ask our clients what's the problem they're trying to solve and listen to them. And then, of course, this is a part of the conversation. But it's really important that we start with, whilst we've got this understanding of drivers of perception and big reputational issues and where sectors might be, it still fundamentally comes down to sitting opposite the person in the room, understanding what is the challenge they're trying to solve. Understanding them and and their business as well as the sector. Um, What else do you want to look at next time you do this? Is there something that came up and you're like, actually, next time we have to ask this question? Yeah. I mean, there's there's so much that we want to do with this, obviously. Um, and we've got, as I say, a really great data and insights team who are fantastic. And if anything, it's my job to sort of rein them in. Otherwise, we'd be doing the research the whole time and <laughs> never launch it. So there's there's loads that we want to do. I think the big things are that everything, all of the metrics that we've selected are repeatable and trackable over time. So we will have annual data. So 2020 will show us not only where these sectors are, and maybe one or two more, 
but it will also show us changes over time. So it should get richer every year as we see uh, how things are shifting. But the big thing that I want to do in 2020 is build up this picture of what are the key drivers of reputation. So, and what's coming through and what could be next for our clients. Yeah. So in 2020, for uh, in 2019, we saw that issues around gender were a really big driver. Yeah. So we didn't just look at what people were talking about. We also did what's called emotional resonance scoring, mm. I've now learned, uh, where we actually looked at how much emotion that was generating, negative yeah. or positive, and weighted it accordingly. Loads, I'm guessing. Lots on gender mm. in 2019. Uh, so we looked at the 12 months up to 31st of May 2019, so 2018 to 19. When we come to 2020, in 2019, we were just starting to see climate change as a potential growing driver, wow. gaining quite a lot of velocity, but yeah. still very small in terms of volume. So I'm really interested to see in 2020, yeah. has that as we think it might have when we get there, has that actually picked up? Has that become the big topic? And if so, what are the drivers that look like climate change did last year Mm. that might be the next ones and that our clients might need to get ahead on? So that's where it starts to get... That's going to be interesting. I don't think gender and climate change are going anywhere, are they? No, (laughs) no, exactly. Public discourse. No. Um, do you any plans to roll out beyond the UK? I mean, it's fascinating that you're doing this across British businesses, but yeah. um, a, a, you know, a global picture would be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So we, as we have company level data, and we're already talking to clients. For some of our clients, we've already built a global picture for them okay. behind the scenes uh, because that was what was needed. So. It's certainly something we can do for the 2020 version. Um, Portland, as I'm sure you know, has offices in Washington, <laughs> Singapore, Nairobi and Doha, yeah. uh, as well as London. So we we are obviously speaking to our mm. offices there about what we want to do. But it's also really important to us, I think, to have consistency. So we looked at UK PLC effectively in year one. I do want us to be able to see how shifts, how things are shifting here. Yeah. I think it's a bellwether market, obviously. Lots of our clients are here. Um, and I think the balance is to be able to give a global picture without it becoming meaningless. You you still have to be able to really understand the drivers. So that's the challenge I've set the research team. Yeah, well, I'm sure they're delighted that <laughs> yeah, you've set that challenge. Um, is there anything else you think is worth picking out from the total value index that we haven't covered in terms of the results this year? No, no, I don't think there is anything I'd highlight. I think... What's interesting is how sort of res- how well I guess <laughs> clients and organisations have responded mm. to this. So, um, you know, I joined Portland to look at purpose. I came from a very purpose-led organisation before mm. my career. I've worked with people like Unilever and so on who've been really focused on this, but. Uh, you do wonder if it's a bit of a punt, whether I yeah. live in a <laughs> live in a community of people for whom this is really important. And we've, you know, all been doing this for 15 yeah. years. Is it really a thing for the, I guess, everyday yeah. uh, major corporate that works with Portland? So I think the the thing that I'm extremely pleased about is how sort of how relevant this is to the conversations we're having with mm. our clients. And I think even since the index came out, 
We've seen the Business Roundtable in the US and all of those 181 CEOs signing up to the idea that uh, profits aren't everything. Absolutely. Huge conversations at UNGO last week around climate change and a slew of announcements from Amazon and Salesforce and the gaming yeah. industry trying to respond to this. So it feels like the conversation is even bigger yeah. than it was and than I hoped at the start. And I think... As we enter 2020, 10-year countdown to the SDGs, there's a lot of work to do, mm. the need for companies to play their part when policymakers are somewhat distracted mm. uh, is going to be really crucial and going to be really interesting. So I'm relieved and pleased. Um, what do you think about the SDGs? Are the companies who sign up to those, are they just kind of virtue signalling or is there absolutely... I mean, it's it's a very broad church... It is. Is it? Is there any danger of purpose washing? Just kind of aligning yourself to the SDGs and not necessarily making genuine change? Is there a way of looking like you're doing something different and then not necessarily taking that action? Definitely. I mean, I think the thing with the sustainable development goals is, of course, they're incredibly important. Mm. They're also incredibly UNE, academic, complex, quite easy to get lost in and I think we've seen very very few organizations actually communicating their contribution and doing it well Mm. I think the worst examples are probably there are some companies who it feels like they've picked a random number and then worked out what that goal is okay we've gone for 15.3 and uh, the reason is in no way connected to our business but we think we can do something about water when actually we do something completely different so I think it's hard to stand out it's hard to communicate in in a really engaging way but if you do pick the right goals and you have really clear actions that you're taking Mm. and you have consistent communications towards those actions It can be really powerful, but I don't think anyone's cracked it yet. But obviously that creates an opportunity. Absolutely. An opportunity for Portland with all (laughs) all your total value data. Ideally. Um, Mary, thank you so much for talking to you. That is fascinating. I can't wait to see what the results are when you've completed this in May next year. Um, uh, Come back and talk to us then. Thank you very much for joining me in the Echo Chamber. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Today.